Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Good evening everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Shah Herald Nightlife. We are glad to introduce to you today two revert stories. One is uh, from Sister Philippa. She's all the way from Bulgaria. She's a psychology student and she was formerly an uh, Orthodox Christian. And next, we're also going to share with you a story from Nosera Iman. And she's from the United States of America, but she's now currently in Singapore. Happy. <laughs> Yay. And she was formerly a Catholic and she has embraced Islam as well. So, so excited to hear their story. Before I begin, just want to ask a quick question, you know, because... I'm not familiar with what is Orthodox Christianity and I'm from Catholic background, but I think for some of our audiences out there, they may not know what's Catholicism. So maybe, you know, we get Philippa to share with us, you know, what is Orthodox Christians? Uh, what do they believe in? Um, I don't think there's much of a difference, really. I think Catholics are a bit more strict with their rules and they just do things a little bit differently than, you know, Orthodox Christians. But I otherwise, we also believe in, well, not we, but they also believe in the Trinity. And um, I think the only difference is maybe the dates of the holidays. So, for example, mm-hmm. Catholics will celebrate Easter one week earlier than Orthodox. And I think mm-hmm. it's mainly, mainly minor things like the calendar and that kind of thing. Uh, do do you guys practice like uh, fasting during the month of Lent or like that? Well, yeah, we're supposed to. <laughs> okay, okay. But many people don't anymore. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in 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 Catholicism, if I'm not wrong, we have uh, fasting of just excluding red meat in the diet. I think that's during Lent for us. But do you? G- also have figures of Mary in your churches in Orthodox Yes, definitely. Okay. And uh, actually the way people usually go pray here in the churches, which there's a church like a hundred meters from me right now. It's mm-hmm. very beautiful. And uh, they have like pictures of the saints inside and they usually go. And for example, if they need something, they go and they light a candle for, for example, Mary and, you know, that kind mm. of thing. Ah, cool. <laughs> So what do you think the only difference is the calendar? Do you think that's the... Yeah, it's, but also like, for example, even with weddings, you guys mm-hmm. have like these uh, chairs, well, not chairs, but benches that you sit on. And mm-hmm. I, for me, when the first time I went to an Orthodox wedding, I was like, where are the chairs that I see in the movies? And they're like, no, no, that's for Catholics. And we're, we don't have that. And actually we all had to stand there. So oh. yeah, <laughs> but oh. yeah. That's the first time I, I also don't know about that. Do you guys also have praise and worship in Orthodox Christianity? Like, I think we have something like, you know, have groups where they just do praise and worship. They just sing songs and worship Jesus in church. Do you do that? Um, or, is, or is it like a routine, like a very structured mass where you celebrate the body of Christ and that's how it goes for your side? Honestly, um, even before I reverted, I never went to those kind of things. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. really know. But from what I do know is that the way we celebrate things is we go to the Pope and uh, he just kind of like blesses you and he like gives you like something. I don't know. I really, I I never used to go to those things. But I know okay. that uh, some, they basically, they don't really sing, but they have something which is similar, I think, to Islam, which is like when they worship, they they sit, they kind of sing it. 
but not with music um, in the background. And but they do include like Jesus and Mary and the Trinity. Ah, oh, okay. So very, very similar. I think there's not really very big difference between both. Just a quick question. I see you have also the name Pink Shika. Pink Shika. Is that is that your uh, Instagram and YouTube channel? Yeah, it is the name that I chose for my YouTube and Instagram. And it's because I like pink and I wanted something Islamic in it. So I was like, well, Sheikha sounds nice. So. Oh, Sheikha. Okay. Sorry, yeah, I pronounced not, that wrong. I would like to clarify that I'm not actually Sheikha because I get some people messaging me like for fatwa. Uh, I don't do that. <laughs> so no. Don't ask me about whether you can do certain things. I have no clue. Okay, okay, cool. So guys, do check out Ping Sheikha YouTube channel if you like to see some of the content as well as her Instagram profile. All right, now let me introduce Sarah to share with us a bit more on Catholicism. What do Catholics believe? <laughs> I have a surprise for you. I absolutely yeah. have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so my, my background's a little interesting. My, hmm. my mom was Catholic, my dad was Christian. There okay. was so much diversity. I remember I was baptized. Um, I remember going to Sunday school to learn about the Old Testament, the prophets. Um, but other than that, I never went to church. I would celebrate Christmas, but that's it. Because I think there was so much diversity already in the household before my parents divorced. There was no common ground of religion. So I was introduced a little bit here, a little bit there, but nothing was consistent, um, which is probably one of the one of the reasons why it was so easy to revert to Islam later on. <laughs> I so see. sorry <laughs> to burst no, your no bubble. problem, no problem. I think okay, not every uh, Catholics are the same in that sense. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no, but what, what what I can share from my side. Because I was also baptized when I was born. You go for catechism classes and you study the Bible, study the prophets, study the story of Jesus. And we have statues also in the church, like the saints, the statue of Mary. We can ask her to intercede and to believe in the Trinity. And uh, that's basically, I think all three of us have that past <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> yeah, so, so now we have got a, a basic on, you know, what? Uh, the beliefs are. Uh, let's maybe re reinvite you know Philippa up to share with us her story. How, from that past, did you slowly come to find out about Islam and eventually you know became a Muslim? Uh, I honestly, I think my story. It's when I hear some other people's stories, it's like wow, that sounds very, uh, very like dramatic. And then I have to tell my story. And I'm like, well, it's not as interesting <laughs> as yours. <laughs> So it's very like uneventful. Um, mine was, I think, uh, when I was 16 is when I embraced Islam. And it's because my friend passed away when I was about 14 and she was about 15. And she was really close to me. And she was actually the only person that I considered like a very close friend. And I didn't have, I was kind of an outsider at the time. Like I was in the popular group, but I was an outcast. And uh, I was always a little bit lonely. So when she died, I, I became a little more depressed. And I honestly didn't find like any meaning in life. And I didn't really see the point of it. And I think uh, the only reason that I started to get out of the depression is because I actually looked for a greater purpose in things. Uh, I didn't find my purpose in studying or in my family. And nothing really made sense until that point. 
And after she passed away, I one phrase that I always talk about in my reverse story, and it doesn't always seem relevant, but for me, it is. And that is that she used to tell me that I was the most, uh, the least religious person that she knew. So until I reverted, I was actually like very anti-Islam. I like really hated it with a passion. Like I thought it was very strict. And it was because every time that I would want to do something, all my friends would say like, oh, well, we can't do that because, well, our parents wouldn't let us. And they didn't have like a good reason. It was always like the family and the parents. And I thought in that, looking at it from that perspective, it always seemed very limiting, Um, which it actually isn't. And there's obviously a purpose for everything. And um, so she passed away and I, I actually took that phrase that she used to say to me so regularly um, I really started to think on it and I was like, you know what, maybe she's right because I mean, death is, you know, it could happen at any point. So I think it was kind of like a realization, like I could die too. Like <laughs> you don't just die when you're old, <laughs> which is, I think a lot of us, I think that's something that fundamentally changed my way of thinking about life is that every day is like, it's important to live it as if, you know, you don't, you're not going to get it tomorrow. Um, so after she passed away and I, and I went through a couple of mo- months of depression, I realized that something needs to change. And I actually started to become a very, um, very serious Christian. And I was like, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to start going to church. And, <laughs> and I think that's when I started to realize that the Trinity has a lot more to do with Christianity than I originally thought, because my mom never taught me that. I always believed that God was like God and Jesus was just one of his prophets. That's how I grew up thinking it. But when I started doing online research, that's when I was like, oh, I was wrong. Apparently Jesus is God and, you know, like the Trinity and all that. So for a while, that kind of was was good. And then after a couple of months, I realized that uh, this didn't really answer my questions. I didn't feel like I, I have, I didn't feel settled in my heart. And my friends were Muslims, some of them. And I asked them and about some questions about Islam because I just wanted to know. I was just curious. I mean, I'm, I'm, sorry, I am in a Muslim country. I might as well know. And they were talking about the signs of the last day. And once they started talking about that, I was like hooked. I was like, wow, this is literally like gold. Why don't we have this in Christianity? And then I started to compare our religions a little bit too much. I was like, okay, Christianity this, Christianity that. And I try to find an equal for everything. So for example, um, in the Bible, we have the 10 commandments and I opened the Quran. I'm like, okay, where are the 10 commandments? Like, and I, and I, and I was so confused because I didn't find that anyway. So the point is that, um, I started to take Islam a little more seriously and I started to do my own research and I kept it a very much a secret for a long time because our school, even though we were in a Muslim country, it wasn't very open to people converting. There was another girl before me who also converted for her boyfriend and the teachers and everyone was very mean to her and they kind of cast her aside. So I didn't want people to know that I was interested because I didn't want to be treated the same way. So for a while, I kept it a secret and it took me a very long time to take the Shahada and I was praying before that and I was very, um, I, I loved praying and I loved connecting with God and I loved like everything that I was learning, but I was just scared because it felt like a very big deal to say that the prophet was uh, the prophet, our, our beloved prophet. But actually where my story gets a little more interesting is in the second part, and I always divide my story into two parts, which is why it's a little long, is that I did convert, but after a while, I kind of focused too much on the rules and not on like connecting with God. And so 
after a couple of months of taking mashhad and being a Muslim, I kind of started to drift away and I went back to everything that I used to do before. And I kind of left Islam except for the fact that I believed in, you know, la ilaha illallah. And everything like went back to like, I stopped like taking the hijab and I stopped doing everything that I had spent months learning. And I was like, I'll just go back to it once I'm a little bit older or if I get married, like I'll put the hijab on or I'll take Islam seriously then. So this is where like I have this little gap in between when I took my shahada and when I started to take Islam really seriously um, when I turned like 20. So I moved to Bulgaria and when I moved to Bulgaria um, and Amsterdam before that, I realized that, you know, life wasn't working out for me and I needed, I needed something more to solve my problems. And that's when I kind of reverted again. And this time it really felt like I was more connected to, to God this time. And so it's been like two and a half years since then. And I really feel so much better and more like close to God. So that's basically yeah. the sum of it. And there's a very long video, very, very long video on my channel about all of the different details. But that's pretty much it. Um, so just to be, be clear, uh, you were with a group of friends. They are all Muslims in the, in the past. Yeah. So, yeah. So how did you meet these Muslim friends? Like, how did you know they were Muslims or? I live in the UAE, so it's a Muslim country. So naturally, like 90% of the people there are Muslims. They either wear hijab or they don't, but like they're obviously Muslim. Um, but oh. the thing is, we, we we used to go to parties. Um, and, you know, it was like kind of a halal-ish party. Like it wasn't like, there wasn't like it wasn't like the, it wasn't too bad, like compared to what you know now. But like it was okay. kind of like there was mixing and all of that. Um, but they they used to go and I remember they were like, oh, I can't wear like a short skirt because like there's guys there. And I remember like there was this whole drama about like, is it a girls only party or is it a mixed party? And that's how we all knew about that. Wow. I see. I see. And um, you really started looking at the Bible after your friend passed away. Yeah. Um, and from the Bible, slowly you started to look at also the Islamic faith and you started comparing both religions. Yeah. And eventually, what made you resonate strongly with Islam? I mean, the Bible has also quite good content in there. In the <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> I I don't know. Like, I never, I, 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 don't, I don't know if this is the correct thing to say, but I kind of feel like it's like a marriage. You just know that it's the right person, like, mm -hmm. in your heart. Um, and I felt like no matter how much I read the Bible, I never understood it. I have no idea what they're saying. Like I would read it and I'd be like, I, I don't understand. And honestly, like I, I understood the Quran a lot more than I did the Bible. And I don't know, I just kind of knew that this was the right thing. And even though like looking back at the time, like I wasn't convinced 100%, but something in me knew that it was. Even though like logically and kind of like if I had to explain it to someone, I couldn't tell you why. Um, and now... I believe in it much more strongly and I have much more of a logical reason for following it. But I, that, that feeling of it being the right thing never, never went away. Philippa, if I, if I may ask, what one aspect of Islam that you studied that really struck you and immediately connected you with it and make you want to consider it as an option for you? Yeah. I, I think uh, for me, that was definitely the, the signs of the day of judgment, because I think uh, I from what I know, I could be wrong, but Christianity didn't have that. So I felt like that was the thing that really pulled me into 
into thinking like, oh, this this religion does have answers to things that maybe the Bible doesn't. But I think the thing that kept me going was that was maybe two things. And the first one is that the Quran hasn't been changed. And I always knew even before reverting that the Bible has been. And my mom told me, and I always grew up knowing that. Um, so I always took everything that it said with a grain of salt, whereas the Quran, I knew that like everything that I read, it was like 100%. So I feel like that's the thing that kind of, kind of makes me believe that it is the truth. So, Interesting. Yeah. Can I ask, um, at at a young age when you converted, you know, how did your family resonate with that? Honestly, it's hard to remember a time where they didn't support me, but there there was one and it was really difficult. But because everything is so good right now, it's so hard to look back at that time and, and remember. When I first wanted to convert, I remember it was a huge, huge, huge drama because, you know, it just like a sister Sara said, um, it's they kind of start to feel guilty that they didn't teach you things. And obviously you're more open to other religions because you were never like, you were never like that religious to begin with. So my family used to say that it's our fault. We didn't like teach you enough. We should have taken it more seriously. It's because you meant to live in Dubai and like all these things. It was, it was hard to convince them because I think I was so young and they, they viewed the true religion as freedom and like restriction and they think that everything that I do now is like very restricted where, and they thought that I shouldn't put something on myself so young. So they really pushed on the fact that I should wait until I'm older and more experienced um, to make the decision. And in a way that's kind of what happened anyway. So I think that's why they're more calm now versus when I made some love battery. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to shuffle over there because there's no people over here. Well, very entertaining so far. I think her story, it's amazing how she started comparing things and the day of judgment was the one that struck her the most. I have another question for Philippa. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Sister, so you were sharing with us your story and literally you said there were kind of two phases, right? Phase A and phase B, right? So can you sort of like give us a brief idea what is the difference uh, that you see Islam in these two different phases? You know, that's a very, very good question. Uh, It's not one that I get asked a lot, and I think it's very significant. The first time, I think I was way too focused on the rulings. And because I needed that structure in my life, I feel like I was looking for that. I think because I came from a very free world, like I mentioned, I didn't know like there was things um, that were right and wrong. And I didn't know that there was like rules to do things. And because I always say this about myself and it might be wrong to say, but I, without Islam, I don't have a moral compass. I don't, there's nothing to guide me. Like I just do whatever I want. Even if like, for example, people who don't have religion, they still know like, oh, I shouldn't do this. Like I shouldn't kill people. Like that's wrong. But for me, like obviously killing, no, but like everything else was like, yeah, like I'm free. Like I can do what I want. So I think when I first converted in my first phase, I was a lot, very focused on, I need to pray. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I realized that after a while, it became very hard to follow the rules because there was no like there was there wasn't like much connection to God. And whereas in the second phase, I didn't like I didn't focus on the rules. I didn't say I have to pray, and if I don't, I'm gonna go to hell. I have to wear a hijab because if I don't, then I will go to hell. I focused much more like oh my gosh, I'm I'm enjoying prayer. I'm enjoying like talking to my maker and for me that was that was the most different thing it's just an attitude and to sum it up in one word it's it was an attitude change i hope that answers it 
Yeah, mashallah. I think that's a very good uh, point of reflection. What you just shared with us, I think, is relevant not only for a fresh new revert, but it also applies to many, many Muslims, whether they're born Muslims, old or young Muslims, because sometimes we start to do our rituals just for ritual's sake, forgetting the purpose and the reason, the the, the spiritual meaning of all those things. Uh, you, you, you know, so... Um, I mean, I was just reading uh, Imam Al-Ghazali's Ihya uh, Al-Mudin and in that book, Revival of the Sciences is is really an excellent attempt trying to remind Muslims at that time, you know, Imam Ghazali was known as a mujaddid, a reviver of the religion, you know. So he, he was he was trying to educate Muslims and trying to revolutionize the way in which we look at ibadah or, or rituals, that there is something beyond just the rules and regulation, which is your phase one. And even born Muslims, I think, like example, in my case, like there were years when we sort of like went astray and we stopped doing our prayers and that sort of thing. Because when we grew up, we just thought that you have to pray, otherwise you go to hellfire and these are the rules. You must perform this and this and this in order to be valid. Well, those are really good to give foundation. But if we do not strive for more meaning beyond what we're doing, it eventually fades. And exactly like your experiences and my experiences when, when we were younger. So as, as you went into the second phase, you begin to understand the significance of why you're doing things and it gives you more meaning and it gives you more beauty in the experience of a prayer, for example. You enjoy doing what you're doing. And so now nobody has to tell you, you must pray, otherwise you go to hellfire. You're doing it because I, I want to pray because I want to have a sweet conversation, an intimate conversation with my Lord. So that's that's something beautiful that that can sustain us in our ibadah, inshallah. And and uh, actually, because I study psychology now, and actually, yeah. attitude change is one of the most the the one of the only ways that we've scientifically studied that you can actually um, change change your habits. Because once right. you say things like "I need to do something," that it, your body like it doesn't respond as well as when you say "I want to do something" because it's yeah. a choice now. Yeah. And yeah. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. I think um what you have shared really, you know, resonates with a lot of people. I believe so for especially new reverts because when you come with a lot of the rules, some some of them find it's like oh, they have to suddenly pray five times a day when they just newly revert. They are not used to it. So, I mean, some people can do it, but some is like oh, this is like such a big task before my, my yeah. But for my, those as, as I was saying, what yeah. she just shared is. You know, it's inspiring for new reverts, but I think it really works for born Muslims as well out there. You know, after doing it for for years and years on end, and then you know, suddenly their life get, gets caught up with with work, with life's problems, and then you know, um, the religion doesn't speak too much to them because they have not went in depth about knowing the significance of why they do what they do. For example, right? For example, at prayer, I mean, like. If you're not a Muslim, you'll say that Allah is egoistic because he needs to be worshipped five times a day minimum, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're a Muslim and you understand why you pray, really, Allah doesn't need those prayers. And those prayers are for our own benefit. So, like, you know, when Philippa was in her phase two, she she understood that. And and, and so it begins to, to reconnect with her. And that's why it helps her to sustain what she needs to do. And, and on that note, I always, I don't know, I always wanted to be someone who like reverts other people and like, like, not right. in, you know, like I'm always like, oh, I need to go like convince people to become Islam. But in my that's time, why you are being Sheikh up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, in your humility, you said you're not good enough. But I think in um, your lifestyle, in the way that you, you have 
through your own experience, you know, experience Islam, you you can inspire other people who are already born Muslims. Yes, or, I was yeah, just about to say that. To I, I, I inspire more Muslims who were born Muslims than reverts. Like I never in my life have met someone and like they reverted because of me. But like yeah. when it comes to born Muslims, like I find that they they definitely see improvement when they when we, yeah. we get in touch together. And I think yeah. that's just some people's destiny. Yeah, mashallah. You know, you know, this is very um I mean I, I can relate to this because like okay, I'm the born Muslim, the only one in this in this category, right? So uh and a lot of People ask me, uh, why are you on this platform if mean, you're born Muslim? But I feel that this platform, um, you know, for most of you who are sharing your stories about your diversion stories coming to Islam, serves multiple uh, purposes. Number one, uh, it it enhances your own faith with with God. Okay, so that's 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 the most important thing, right? Number two, through your stories, you inspire people, and you not only inspire those who are already Muslims, you inspire those who are thinking about Islam or making Islam as one of the options. Number three, and I think this is equally important, and that's why I I believe in this platform because born Muslims and you look at your stories because you went on a journey looking for it in in whatever way whether it's for marriage or whether it's you know because you were affected by the the mishap that happened to your to your friend you know whatever that may be but you were searching for it and in your search obviously you find things which are significantly beautiful that inspires you and sometimes the born Muslims who are born with it inherited it from their parents who did not look for it will be struck by the beauty that you shared with us and so you kind of re refresh and reinvigorate the faith that the new reverts uh, had gone through or the born Muslims that are going through the mundane day-to-day activities without thinking too much about their faith. So thank you very much for all of your sharings. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, uh, guys, any more questions before I bring in the next revert? <laughs> oh, okay. No, no questions. Awesome. Okay, so I'll, I'll yes, bring in... Yes, the fellow uh, ex-Texan. <laughs> ex Texan, yeah, all the way from America. Share, share with us your story, Sarah. What made you? Well, come first to of all, Alhamdulillah and Sulaikum. I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to come onto this platform. Um, I have shared my story many times, but every time I share it, I think I inspire myself over and over again. <laughs> um, so, so my like Sister Philippa said, you know, every time you hear somebody else's revert story, it, it's it's like. It, it is. It feels like their story is so much more elaborate, so much more in-depth and inspiration into it. And then when you say your own, you're like, I don't know if it's really going to help somebody. So here I am, and hopefully it helps somebody. Um, I reverted very, very young. I was 14 years old. Uh, I reverted in 2000 when I came to live here in Singapore with my my dad and my mom. When I mean my dad and my mom, it's uh, my dad moved here as a bachelor after my parents divorced when I was really young. When I was eight years old when they divorced. And my dad moved to Singapore as a bachelor working for the U.S. Coast Guard. And he met, so he reverted to Islam a year before I moved here. Months after he reverted to Islam, he met the love of his life and got married and decided to have, uh, you know, a family here in Singapore. So when that happened, he was like, you know what, I'm going to bring my daughter here as well, because I think she deserves a home that has a mom and a dad and um, just a structure of a family, a nucleus family. Um, so, yeah, I moved. I moved here June 2000 and he introduced me to Islam. 
he said, you know, one of the first words I learned was Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I learned that within a day. And it was just, it was, it was just so intriguing because it was definitely one, a culture shock for me. Um, it wasn't just the religion. It was the culture. You know, I was also brought here into the Malay culture, into Singapore, where, you know, I've lived in a bubble my whole life in the U.S. You know, the only thought of is I, I grew up in a, sorry to say, but a white supremacy town. Like, I didn't know what a Muslim was. I didn't, uh, you know, know what any other religion was. I practiced what my parents introduced to me. But coming to Singapore, he was so passionate about Islam that he actually told me as a 14-year-old, you do not have to be a Muslim. You could still remain Al-Kitab. But if you remain Al-Kitab, I am going to request that you practice your religion. Um, but I want you to take some classes at Dara Arkham so at least you can respect my religion and, you know, understand that there are similarities. So you may want to be a Muslim yourself, but I will ultimately let you make that decision. So when I was introduced to Islam, I learned that the prophets were the same. You know, there was lots of similarities. Um, but to be very honest, I reverted at that time, not because I had iman or faith. It was more to be part of the family. I was already culture shocked. I didn't want to be an outcast. I didn't want to do anything different from anybody else. So I, I reverted. Um, I did my first fast without missing a day. I, I learned al-Fatiha in two weeks. I was, you know, dressing more modest. I was, you know, I went to an international school and my parents talked to the superintendent and made sure that I was allowed to wear pants. You know, that there, there were little things that my parents vouched for me and that I learned, you know, modesty. I learned, you know, not to eat pork. Um, you know, there's no alcohol in the house. You know, I learned little bit by little bit and it became more of a structure. Of course, it got so. So, as I mentioned, I didn't revert. I didn't revert for faith yet, but my faith was tested over time. So, when you know September 11th happened, I was here in Singapore. I was actually just starting to wear the hijab. I was, uh, I think, 15 years old, 15. Um, and I remember my dad walking into the room one day in the morning, early morning, wearing his full military uniform. And he, you know, he said what had happened to the Twin Towers and my heart sank. And I'm going to an international school. I'm, I'm about to get dressed and go to an international school. And, you know, my dad was like, I think maybe you don't wear your hijab today. And that was one of the first tests that I, that hit me. It wasn't because of faith. You know, I was, I was trying to, to, to go according to the religion. So I took off my hijab that day and, um, but everybody was so supportive. I went to school. Everybody knew that I was Muslim and they were so supportive. You know, they said, don't listen to the news. It's not what they're saying. It's not how it is. But of course, those in the U.S., it was very different. You know, they live in a bubble. They don't know what's going on outside. And so it was just a bit of a riff. So that was the first test I had of my faith. And then 2003, I moved to Japan. We lived on an Air Force base in Japan. And of course, because of after September 11th, we were very careful about introducing ourselves as Muslim. So, you know, I saw things in my parents that I understand now, but then I was confused. You know, they would put the, the decorations up for Halloween and, you know, it was to be more inclusive of the community. 
Um, but, but things started happening. I remember fasting month was uh, my birthday month. And I remember my mom asking if she wanted me to order pizza for lunch for school. And I said, uh, I am fasting. And so she, she was proud that I was sticking to it. But again, my faith was tested. But it wasn't until 2006 that I met the love of my life, my husband, that I actually developed my iman. And this is because me growing up without a religion and then finding myself full on wanting to learn this religion. Not to say I didn't have proper guidance, like my, my, my dad and my mom, um, you know, they, they taught me, I, I knew how to pray. I knew how to fast. I knew how to say al-fatiha, you know, I know the du'as that, that they did perfectly well, but it was how I, I as an individual am going to now continue my journey as a Muslim growing into a young woman. And when I met my husband, he was an NTU uh, second year, I was going into nursing NYP and just the night, the dynamic around this relationship that was forming was very humble. And I think the guidance that he had, so he did a lot of silent dawa with me. He never, you know, he made sure that he got his prayers on time. Even we go out to Makan with our friends, he would say, okay, I need, I need to get my Zahor. And I would just let him go to the mosque and get his Zahor. I never followed. Um, and then I just saw that he was living the dunya balanced between religion and, you know, enjoyment and, you know, family and friends. Like I saw the way he was balancing his religion with his life. And it so happens to be, I think it was 2008, two years after knowing him, we were, uh, I think around Orchard area. I think we were going to see a movie with friends and we adjusted the timing so he can get as a SAR prayer. And at some point uh, I was like, uh, I think I'll follow you. And he, he just looked at me and said, what? I said, I, I think I'll follow you to the mosque to pray. And he was like, I, I think they have, you know, something to wear. I, I, I told him, I'm sure they have something I can wear. So I'm, it's not a problem. But it wasn't until my wedding day that I that he told me that day that I decided to follow him without him needing to ask me, without him needing, he realized that he had a lot more responsibility for me. And the fact that I was wanting to do it, he knew he was going to marry me. So it's it's kind of a, a religious come love story that happened between my faith. And so my faith was developed around love. Basically, it was it was developed around um, unconditional love and compassion. And, you know, his parents welcomed me with open arms. Um, that's another funny story. Uh, my husband never dated. Um, he was a very he's a very quiet boy studying. And um, his, you know, his father said, you know, if you can't find a local girl, just go to Dar Arkham and find one. And uh, one morning he decided to bring me home, uh, introduce me to have coffee with his parents. His parents had no idea I was coming. I didn't know that. I thought they did. And he knocked on the door and he said, uh, uh, you know, my, my father-in-law said, Walaikum salam. He opened the door. <laughs> hey, salam, maso, maso, maso. Hey, B. Uh, he called his wife, my mother-in-law and he was like, coffee, coffee. <laughs> so he was like very excited to see me walk through. And then me and me and my husband looked at each other and he was like, yeah, he found me at Dara Arkham. <laughs> it was, it was so funny. Um, but we have such a dynamic relationship. We're so diverse that I really developed my faith through there. And because of him, I think is the reason I am the Muslim that I am today. 
MashaAllah. That is so beautiful. Your story is just mind-blowing. Eh? <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, it's not it's not very typical, you know. Some people, I mean, some people they get when they are enjoying themselves or something, they don't see a mm. meaning to their faith. They just let it go, right? But well, I, I mean, I can go into detail. Like my 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 perfect uh, moment of Quran would be uh, the ant finding. You know, I'm a, I'm a nurse. I'm a very scientific person, and finding out that in we know when Prophet Sulaiman said uh, he can hear her voice when he was talking about the ant and not knowing, I think it was 1970 something that they realized the whole colony of ants are female. I, I think that blew my mind as well. Like the thing, you know, the, the, the phases of placenta, you know, the, the three trimesters, right. All of this found in the Quran, which is scientific, which nobody had any idea during that time. So I, I guess, you know, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's the question that you ask so this is my conversion story. But of course, there are things that I find along the way that that even till today surprise me. So it, it's a continuous journey. And I think also um, the journey of finding Islam for everybody is in reality a love story. It may not be, <laughs> no, really, it's not, it might not be a romantic love story, but it, it, yeah. is, it is a love story. I mean, you, you asked Risi, she's a, a student of film studies and she was connecting Surah Yusuf with like, like a movie. And I mean, I think, I think that's amazing if you can, you are able to relate to that in that way. And, you know, just like a love story, it requires your commitment, it requires introduction, it requires some form of effort. There will be arguments at one point, you will stray, you know, but you come back again because of all of that. And I think if you look at it as a love story, you'll find that even in the Quran, when Allah talks about the prophets, uh, you know, and the prophets talk about the way he led his community to salvation, those are all actually love stories. I mean, no one would be able to sacrifice yourself to such an extent if there's no love put into it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm sure Philippa would, would, would appreciate this. If, if you pray and you do not feel a sense of love burning in your heart, then at some point you will stop. And there's, there's, there's no meaning. Right. But there will be a time when you pray and, you know, you can feel it. And, you know, when you feel the sweetness that you, you it moves you to tears. So, so remember those moments because you, must attempt to replicate those moments every time when you pray because that is the sweetest of ibadah. Inshallah. Yeah. Perfectly said. Actually, yeah, every time the the challenge is to keep wanting that feeling in your prayer. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes sometimes you get too busy with your life and you, you start doing a prayer and it feels like a routine, but you need to go and find the sweetness of it, even though it's a routine. Yeah, it's true. it's one of our it's one of our family's, you know, daily activities that we spend time with each other to do. I have three boys, nine, eight and five, and it is the best time of the day. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Sister Sarah, when she reverted, it was like a long time ago. Is it 20? Uh, you're saying it was 2004 or something? 2004? Which one? Was it, was it the year you reverted to Islam? 20, uh, 2000. 2000. Yeah, she's the oldest oh. among 21 years ago. So, so <laughs> no yeah, more, you, but... you, you, you could do the math. You could do the math. Uh, 21 years ago, and uh, <laughs> I was, stop I was, calling I was stop calling yourself revert. No <laughs> more revert. She's a Muslim 100%. I mean, I mean, <laughs> okay. Now, coming to the 
another juicy part is the misconceptions that we have um, before we became Muslim. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, for me, my misconception at that time was that I thought Muslims were praying to a moon god. <laughs> it was funny. The first time I I experienced uh, Islam was I think when I was seven years old or something. When it's on TV, you know, there's Power Rangers, and I think during Asr <laughs> or or Maghrib, they will have the azan, and it was on TV, and I was like playing the the Megazord and something, and I hear the azan, and I thought, oh, this is beautiful, and I that was my first time hearing the azan, but I didn't know it was Islam. And afterwards, when I come to know more about Islam, it was, you know, I see Muslims going to the mosque and there's the, the crescent and the star. So I immediately drew that connection thinking that they pray to a moon god because we have the crucifix in church. And so that was how it came to the, the moon thing. And after that, 9-11 happened and a lot of behaving videos kind of thing. So it was like really grossed out in school by, by all those videos my friends were like watching. And we had this perception that it's an evil religion. That was my misconception. I wonder what is yours? <laughs> Maybe you can start with Sister Philippa. I mean, it's hard to follow up that. <laughs> <laughs> um Mine was more basic than that, and I think I touched upon this a little bit earlier, is that uh, I thought Islam was very restricting. Um, I thought it was very... And I didn't know that there was a reason behind all of the rules, so I just thought it was very restricting. And I... that That's basically it. I don't think I had any other misconceptions. Yeah. Really basic. That's it. All right. It's okay. I mean, some people just have the restriction part. <laughs> Okay, about, what about uh, Sister Sarah? What about you? What were your misconceptions? I, I agree. I don't think at 14 years old, I don't think I knew what mis, like misconceptions because like I said, back in the States, I, I don't remember ever seeing a Muslim. Um, I think I can remember maybe one girl in my class who wouldn't stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, but I think about that now, like it's not when I converted. I think I probably had more heartbreak uh, initially rather than misconceptions, because when I was told before I converted that I wouldn't be allowed to eat pork, mm. um, growing up, Texas barbecue, come on, that's like the staple <laughs> of our dishes. And, um, it was easy to give up though. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I've, I've, you know, it's not bad. I think the hardest one was probably dogs. Mm. I, I, you know, grew up around dogs, like they were the they were the comfort of a family. They were, you know, family members even. They can live up to like 18, 20 years. And that's like a person in your house. So I, I guess that would probably have been the hardest part for me is not being able to interact with dogs the way I used to. Now, now of course, I still interact with dogs. I mean, we still have to be kind to animals, but there's there's ways of doing it. And I think as I learned along the way that, that, that there are ways of doing things, it made it a little bit easier. But even till today, like when I see a dog, I just want to grab it. <laughs> but I'm like, I can't. <laughs> but yeah. misconception, I think, I think at 14, not even knowing what a Muslim was until I moved here um, yeah. and being shown the right way. Like I didn't see Muslims before I was a Muslim, so I don't have any judgment before. But, you know, jumping into a family that is Muslim 
I think was a lot easier and less misconceptions. Sister Sarah, can I ask you, if let's say your dad um, and and you know your your mom were to be in Texas still, yeah, they are. Uh, uh, your your okay. Your parents are in Texas, and then yeah. they say that they're Muslims. Do you think you'd be open to even consider Islam if you're in Texas? So. You know, that's actually a very interesting story because I converted in 2000 and I went back to see my my biological mother uh, in 2001. So we went back under the pretenses that, you know, I hadn't seen her for a few years because I lived with my grandparents. Long story. Um, but I went back to visit her and I was told, you know, not to say anything about being a Muslim and this and that. And that was fine. Um, and, you know, she had, you know got a really nice house, like a decent house. She got a decent job. Um, she was probably the hardest parent to, to get on their feet after the divorce than my dad. And so going back to visit her, you know, she was like, um, you know, wanting us to stay. She didn't want us to come back to Singapore. And at the end of the day, you know, I had to tell her that I'm a Muslim because my brother and sister who's younger than me decided to stay with her and I couldn't bring them back with me. It was my choice. So if I wanted to come back, I had to. And she was like, you could be a Muslim here. You can, you can be whatever religion you want. But at 14 years old, going 15, I realized that I would not have had the support. Um, I wouldn't even know where to look, you know, that this, this, I'm talking about a little town in Louisiana called Marpaw, you know, they, they hardly even have churches. Like it, it is a place of free thinkers. And, you know, I would have not have enriched myself as a Muslim. I don't think I would be a Muslim today if I had stayed. So me making the decision to come back to be with my dad, even though we had all those restrictions, I had this gut, like this gut feeling that that's what I had to do. Right. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's quite, a, oh, yeah, that's quite amazing. Um, I mean, talking about the restrictions, yeah, we Chinese also have a lot of uh, pork dishes, um, <laughs> and and yeah, giving those up also, um, and also alcohol and gambling and stuff is quite common thing that you know Chinese New Year we also do, and the past now that Muslim like wow, have to stop right suddenly, so thanks for sharing uh, all these challenges that you faced and you actually went through them and overcome them yeah, yeah maybe so we asked zafira what, zafira, what yeah. was your what were your the misconceptions that you faced before you know before you became a muslim um actually i didn't have that much misconceptions i guess because my story was very much revolved around um my helper so from young i always had a lot a lot of different helpers coming uh, to my family um, I think every three, four years, you know, I'll have a change of helper. But there was this um, helper that was uh, that, that made a very significant difference in my life. I think she actually helped to shape um, shape up a lot of my beliefs. My family was Buddhist, um, so but we weren't that staunch. So I didn't really know too much about like uh, religions, like different religions. I know some some of my family members are Christians, or some of them are are like um, Taoist or Buddhist, but never really like a Muslim. And only my helper was a Muslim then. So there wasn't much misconceptions, but I think at a young age, there was just too much too much of a mix of information. Like um, my helper would always tell me stories of like the day of judgment and, you know, how we will be judged after our death. And I think there was one really interesting part where um, she would she would always tell me in the middle of the night. I'm not sure why. 
but um, she would tell me the stories like, oh, you know, um, when, when we are being judged, they would, we would have to like walk across uh, like like this string that is like split into seven layers of our hair or something like that. So that got me really intrigued. Um, but I never really had any other idea about Islam. So I can't say that I have, um, you know, any misconceptions or anything like that. Um, other than that, I think it was just more of like, oh, it's, it's, it's a very restrictive religion. You can't eat pork and you have to pray five times a day. And um, I don't know, it's just life around lots of rules, extra rules, especially. What about amongst your friends when you uh, decided to become Muslim? Was it difficult uh, for them to accept or was it, was it fine for you? Um, it was particularly tough with my family, to be honest. I think among my friends, it was just more of like, oh, then, you know, is it okay if we eat like the kway up in front of you? Like, uh, can, can, can we like eat pork in front of you? You know, will you feel offended? Um, I, and that, that was actually still okay. I think they would just kind of tease me a little bit like, oh, you can't eat pork now. Haha. <laughs> you know, you won't know how delicious it is anymore. Um, that, that, that was the only part of my friends, but I think it was always slightly harder for the family, my family, to accept me being a Muslim. I think because it's just more of like um, different viewpoints and it, it's very surprising to know that even, you know, like Chinese families in Singapore, a lot of them would think that, um, you know, even though our media don't show it as much as, you know, in other parts of the world, but they still have this misconception that Muslims are actually terrorists. So, um, at the point of time, my mother actually thought that, oh, you know, I'm going to join like a terrorist club or something. Or if I were to tell her, oh, you know, I would like to go to uh, certain countries, you know, in the future when I want to do volunteering or, you know, help the Muslims of different parts of the world. And she'll be like, oh, you're joining a terrorist group, aren't you? You know, it's, yeah. So so those, I think those are like the misconceptions. Of, I think of, uh, on that note, I have a funny story because when I first convert, when I first wanted to convert, and I remember telling my mom, and she was like, "No, they're gonna make you um, what's the word in English? Um, you know, like the men when they start, reach a certain age, they get like oh circumcised." So she thought that that applied to women too, <laughs> because she heard some stories about like these extreme villages in Africa, and she's like, "No, you're gonna this is gonna happen to you," and like. I don't know, like, and she was so scared that that was going to happen to me. And I remember, like, she made me panic, too. So then I went to school and I, like, asked some people and they were like, no, that's, that's not what it's all about. And, like, I think that was one misconception that uh, got passed on to me. Uh, and your um, story reminded me of it. Speaking of circumcised, yeah, I mean, like, I have friends teasing me about it. <laughs> and uh, besides that, right, there are also people who think, like, Oh, uh, if you are Muslim, you are going to be a Malay. I mean, that's in Singapore. Uh, most of my my Chinese side of the family would say, "So, how is your you like Malay food more now, or something?" Something. <laughs> 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 it's just quite hilarious. So uh, I think, oh, that's different as culture, but I'm still Chinese. You know, I'm just Chinese Muslim. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the the, the misconception we have here in Singapore. We see. Yeah. What about we you? See? Hmm, I guess one of my misconceptions. Hey, is you look like, you look different today. Sorry. <laughs> Your hijab today? looks very yeah different from normal. It's, it's, like, the, it's like the whole body hijab, like the. the <laughs> oh okay. No, okay. It's not, it's, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's called the. Need some water. Okay, wait one sec. 
<laughs> Sorry. I don't know. My throat is just like so bad. Okay. So I think one of my misconceptions is that I think I was in grade eight um, and in gym class. I don't know who started this, but I was in school and it was gym class. And then this one boy, um, every time he threw a dodgeball, he would yell, Allahu Akbar. And then he would throw it. And then, <laughs> and then that became a trend. <laughs> And then so every kid started saying that. They're all like, Allahu Akbar. And then they throw the dodgeball. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I think I think they're referring to like, like you know, bombs dropping or something. I know it's supposed to be like kind of offensive, but they were <laughs> stupid and, you know, just a bunch of stupid boys. And, you know, like, I guess that's what everyone did. So like fast forward a few years. Now I'm in first year of university. Um, right now I'm going to third year, but like for the sake of story, I'm in first year university. And then... You know, my friend is telling me, you know, have you tried praying, um, you know, the Islamic way? Because I told him, you know, I'm trying to get more spiritual, trying to get more religious. Um, I, I've, I've been telling him, you know, I want to go to visit like um, temples, like, you know, like Buddhist temples or like even like, I don't know, like, I explore. I have all these pamphlets. You know, I live in downtown Toronto. So every time I go outside, there's people handing out pamphlets. So I have like Christianity pamphlets, like booklets and everything. I have like Islamic pamphlets that are stacking up on my table. I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to read all of them and I'm going to see what's up. Anyways, like, he taught me like, yeah, you can try like, you know, praying the Muslim way. I'm like, okay, I guess so. Like, I guess why not? And then I pull up a YouTube video and then the YouTube video, they were saying, Allahu Akbar. I'm like, oh my God, this like gave me such a throwback, a flashback to that time in gym class when the kids are throwing the dodgeball. And I'm like, what is happening? Why, are, what, what, wait, what? Like, isn't this a bad word? Why are they saying this? Like, oh my God, like, like whoever is probably a parody, it's probably a prank. Like, this is a prank. This can't be like a real video. But then I realized the meaning behind Allahu Akbar, which just means God is the greatest. That's it. I mean, that's pretty simple. <laughs> and yet, like, we were all here thinking, like, oh, my God, it's something violent is what people say before doing something evil. Like, how it, it doesn't make sense. Like, how, like, obviously, the people who hijacked the religion, like people like ISIS and stupid people like that, would use such a beautiful word to before doing something so evil. But normal people would never use such a beautiful word. You know, it's just something that's so pure that's been tainted and it doesn't make sense at all. So that's like one of my first misconceptions about Islam. <laughs> you have a very funny story. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, be, you know, these are the things that, you know, tainted your mind prior to coming into Islam. But maybe each one of you can share maybe a story. What do you think was the most challenging thing that you had to go through uh, when you're on journey towards becoming a Muslim? Hmm. Maybe... I can, I can go first. Um, okay. I think, I think for me, you know, going to be an American, going to a, uh, an American school and not doing house parties, not doing the thing that all American teenage girls do, um, Having said that, I'm also one of the lucky ones to not experience those. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people get the misconception of me at that age, uh, whether it was my Singaporean friends or, you know, my friend's parents, um, even my my uh, Singaporean grandmother, when she had to take me in for a few years, 
was very worried to have an American girl under her roof. Um, I came, I remember coming home one time and having a fake tattoo on my shoulder and she flipped. She was talking to my, so my, 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 my dad's, the love of my dad's life has a younger brother who's my age. And basically we kind of grew up together and she looked at him and was yelling at Malay, like, why did you let her do that? How could you, how could you, this is why, you know, I'm worried to have her living under my house. And I went, Umi, wash off. <laughs> and she went, ah. <laughs> so I, I, I think, I think she didn't say Allah. Just, Akbar. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but, but it was even like, like, you know, before I wore the hijab, I looked like a typical American girl. I went to NYP. I didn't wear the hijab, you know, it, it was, everybody had this conception and, you know, the experiences I didn't actually experience, even though it's very common experiences. So I think that's one of the ones. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think uh, for me, I have a lot of moments. And I think now, as she was speaking, I reflected. And I think the hardest thing for me personally is um, living w- living my life now and knowing the person that I, that I used to be. And I think it's really hard for me to differentiate between the two because um, it's, I think for me, it's very easy to get triggered by the environment. And so when I'm in a country like Bulgaria, I'm like, I think back to everything that I would usually have done. And it's very hard for me to separate Oh, Okay. This, I was that person, but now I'm this person. And it's, and I sometimes like, especially when I look back on photos, I get like this life, like midlife crisis. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, who am I? Like, am I the same girl? Like I look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like look at me with hijab. Like, like, I don't know. Like I, I get, I think that's the biggest struggle for me because like what's stopping me from not doing those things. And it's, I don't know, it's a continuous, it's both a struggle. And at the same time, like it's such a blessing and I don't know that for me, that's the hardest is just remembering that I was that. And I'm also this and I'm both. And yeah very philosophical thing. Yeah, I think that's because you're a psychology student. <laughs> you you think about these things. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if, I may, if I may share, Sing- Singapore is also a cosmopolitan uh, city and, you know, it's um, easy to uh, partake in the activities that you're referring to. And, and you know, I was leaving my college years uh, in the US, so uh, I, I don't know whether... Um, uh, Sarah would have known Boulder in Colorado. Yeah, hippily liberal, you know, very different from, uh, yeah. So anyway, so so I understand those kind of challenges, but I think um, stop uh, thinking about um, what you may fall into because that's always going to haunt you, but be sure and be confident of the new person that you are, the things that you know that you can and you cannot do. Um, and, and then just bite the bullet and just walk in this journey. You know, because if you keep looking, you know, if you're climbing the mountain and you keep looking, uh, you know, how much I've, I've, I've climbed, you will scare yourself by saying, wow, that's, that's, so, that's so high. I might fall, you know. Any, anyone will fall. You know, at, at any time. So if you 
if you think about it, sometimes the problem is the prophecy will come true. The you know the mountain the mountain analogy describes me perfectly. I am literally every two seconds I'm like oh, look at that, look at that, and like <laughs> like at, on one side it's good because it's like oh look at how right. far I've come. It reminds you of where you are, yeah. 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 But but you know there is a long way for you to go up you know so the, the more energy should be expended on investing the effort of you know moving forward and going going up the mountain inshallah i mean is you know is 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 not it's not that I have climbed the mountain, but I'm saying that you know we're all struggling together and this is one of the tips that i I think will be useful for all of us inshallah inshallah okay, who else? Uh, Zafira. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the most, I actually had two, I think more of my challenges were related to family. Like, um, you know, especially I have a lot of like elderly family members and um, it within my family nucleus. So especially, you know, if someone uh, passes away as a, as a Buddhist ritual, they, they would have, you know, people coming and um, like chanting phrases or, you know, like we have to burn like um, all this like fake houses and, and, and whatnot. So whenever I don't participate, um, you know, they, they will come ask me like, oh, you know, why are you not participating? Are you not respecting us? You know, this is this is your 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 so and so, you know, um, and I think it, it, it felt quite uh, I felt quite bad, especially with the recent passing of my great grandmother. And I wasn't able to, you know, really do anything for her. So, and as a Muslim, knowing that, uh, knowing what is the right path and knowing what I should do, I feel very, very saddened, especially if I can't do that for, for my close family members. So I think that that, 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 that that is one of the major challenges that I have. Um, and another challenge would be still like, you know, differentiating between like a, like a Chinese lifestyle and like a Muslim lifestyle. Sometimes there's still like this very fine line. Uh, between the two i'm not sure if brother harold can actually relate on this yeah yeah i mean i, I get what you're saying about uh the praying i mean the, the, the buddhist praying and you know there's a fine line because i just one of the reverts did come to me about this question about whether he can do this and whether he can do that i usually ask him to ask his ustad because <laughs> that would be the best person to to give the advice but um, as long as it it's something that doesn't go against what we uh, core beliefs are then you know it's it's okay to do it out of respect am i right uh saifu rahman right <laughs> <laughs> uh and yeah so uh zafira i think uh don't feel too sad about what you're going through um as you know, as servants of Allah, if let's say we have a family members who, who pass on, even though they're not of the same faith, uh, the best we can do is always make prayers, you know, Fatiha or Yasin, or, or just raise your hands and ask Allah to help and save them. You know, um, ignore the fact that some people say that you should not make prayers for those who are not Muslims, because at the end of the day, uh, only Allah will decide uh, whether he accepts your prayer. And so let him do his job. And your job as a slave is, you know, our job as slaves, we just ask and we beg. And if it's someone who is so beloved to us, you know, who has moved on and we, we feel sad and we want to alleviate some of their pain, and we ask from Allah, make dua, we should just make dua. And, and just speak to Allah intimately in our prayers, you know, inshallah, you know. If it's sincere, I'm sure Allah will not waste any of our efforts. So don't be sad. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I think the main thing that Chinese have an issue with, uh, what can I understand is because being the son in the family, they expect us to, you know, carry out the funeral rites um, as the leader of the family when like somebody passed away in your family, the immediate family. And if you can't do those things, they will think like you're an ungrateful son. Yeah, kind of. That's the effect lah, you get. That's the challenge. <laughs> But it is not that we are ungrateful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I want yeah. to ask one really important question to all of you. Um, so I'm I'm a born Muslim, right? So and you face all these challenges coming to Islam. Can can you share with all of us, the audience that's that's watching us right now or listening to us on podcast tomorrow, what would be what would you hope that the born Muslims would do and extend? Uh, our assistance in order to lessen the kind of challenges for you and new Muslims to come into Islam. <laughs> Do you mind me answering this first? Because sure, I, I you got to go. Right? When it's um, <laughs> my anyway, I yeah. um, for me, I think the main thing is what's reflected in my own story is changing the way that we explore the things that we are not sure about. And I think that comes with having an open mind and an open mindset and developing an attitude that where we're open to other people and other points of view, even if we don't agree with it. And even when we have things that we're not sure about as born Muslims, you're sometimes going to question your faith and whether what you're doing is the right thing. I think coming with that, with kind of the mindset of I'm looking for the truth, even if it hurts, even if it's wrong, even if it might not be what society agrees with. And just following and maintaining the idea of the truth is the most important thing when it comes to religion and following it. And nice one. That attitude. Good. And I think this not, yeah, this to everyone, you know, just uh, embrace it with an open mind. And when you want to advise someone, do not be doctor too dogmatic about it, step by step, uh, because you no, know, we're we're all babies you know, traveling in this journey. So, uh, you know, make sure that the advice uh, hits the target, okay? not yeah. to be not to inundate the person with your whole baggage, you know, of what you need to do. <laughs> Inshallah, good. Thank you. Next, bye bye. See you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it was so great. And I, and I wish I could stay, but I, I have another arrangement. But thank you so much. Cool. We'll keep, yeah, in, touch. We'll keep in touch. We'll bring you in for others. Inshallah. 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 Thank, you. thank you so much. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I have uh, something to say. Yeah. I think um, what I think would be helpful would be if, you know, there's more beauty being exuded out in the sense of like, you know, instead of the focus on the halal and the haram side of Islam, um, if people like the born Muslims could actually spend more time sharing about how we can ease into Islam or the beauty of it, the, the, the diversity of it, the spirit of why they're doing it, the understanding behind everything and that would would help a lot of us understand. I think for new, uh, for people who are non-Muslim, but they are just curious about it. You know, at least there's this awareness out there. People will start to understand. Oh, he's praying now, so we should give. You know, let him do his prayer. <laughs> at least you know they don't have to come up with misconception and generalize and stuff. So if we we if we explain those things and don't keep people in the dark, then there's more transparency in understanding all this. Yeah. I think that would and be people helpful. get be, will be more attracted into coming into Islam, right? 
Yes, inshallah. Yeah. You know, I always have this, I have always this analogy, you know, because I used to teach Christianity, Judaism and Islam at the university. So, so at the conclusion for me, a simple conclusion would be as an analogy would be this. So you, you have a salesman knocking at your door, right? So the first one is a Christian salesman. He say, hello, I'm selling you something. Uh, would you like to buy? What is it? You know, I'm selling you love. We care for you. We, we sing together. You know, we help each other out. And that's, that's how Christians approach you. And then the next five minutes, another one knocks on the door and said, Hello, Assalamualaikum, I'm a Muslim. And you, the Muslims will sell you this. Okay, if you want to be a Muslim, play five times a day, fast in the month of Ramadan from dawn to dusk and give money out of your, <laughs> of your wealth <laughs> once a year. And then, the, you know, even before he finishes, okay, now my thank you, goodbye, you know. So, I mean, which one would be more attractive to you? We're not saying one. that that is not Islam, but I'm saying that there are other facets of Islam that we could project. And, yes. and like uh, Ferdow say, sometimes maybe because we don't even feel the beauty of it ourselves, that we cannot share with you what is the beauty of Islam. And so it's difficult, you know, actually, if you, sometimes when, when I see people explaining what Islam is, it kind of like push me away further and further than coming closer and closer. Right. So I think as a community, we must learn how to be able to uh, project uh, Islam in a positive way, uh, project it in a beautiful way. And if we do not, do not know how to do that, then perhaps we should discover the beauty of the faith ourselves first before we are able to share it. You know, be, uh, because if you look at the way in which the Prophet Sallallahu uh, Alaihi spoke to the people, it's, it's, it's never always about uh, black and white. You know, it's always about the beauties of, of it and people come in and people see for themselves why they're doing things, you know, and that's how, you know, he attracted many people to Islam at that time. So he, the, the methodology of his da'wah, you know, is important and we need to look at how he does it uh, so that we can perform our role as the Khalifa of Allah, inshallah. Inshallah, yeah. Anyone else? Hey. Anyone else? Uh, um, like, you know. I have a just a quick one. Uh I would, I would probably say, you know, Islam is all around the world and we have lots of Muslims that have different culture as well. And I think that there is a fine line between culture and religion. You know, me being American, moving to Singapore, married to a Singaporean, we are two different cultures as well. We're same religion, but two different cultures. And I had to do a lot of, you know, weeding out and background and talking to an, a, a, a well-known, a um, an Ustad from Dar Arkham about what cultures that I can actually still instill in my identity and for my kids and share that do not overlap to religion. So I think, you know, just understanding that, you know, people who come to Islam um, come for the religion, but they don't want to really lose their identity as well. And just finding out what of, what of their culture is still permissible. So I think, knowing that you don't have to give up your whole identity to become a Muslim and just, you know, sharing stories and sharing that, you know, this is, this is the fundamentals, but you still have your identity. Yes. There are some forms of the culture you may not be able to perform anymore or share, but it doesn't mean that everything you have to give up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's nice and beautiful. So it's like what Fredas was saying, I become a Muslim. I'm not becoming a Malay. 
that, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure all of you, I mean, in this region, when you convert to Islam, people will say, hey, your friends will say, hey, you want to convert to Malaya? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, all of you have, have been through that and most of them come to me and they, they complain to me about that. Uh, it's true. And you, and you know what is something that is really uh, beautiful about Islam if you study it? That it does not deny the culture. It allows you to live with the culture insofar as provided that it does not run against the basic tenets of the faith, which is the worship of the one God, right? So uh, when you become a Muslim and you come from a different sort of culture, a different kind of background, do not discard them away because this made you who you are. Uh, this is the thing that gives you the foundation of the kind of person that you become. And in fact, when I listen to your stories today, there's something that I think was prevalent that I am sure some of you may or may not realize it is that since young, Allah has in, in so much ways, if you could see it, determine that Islam is an open option for you. Do you realize that? You know, that I mean, you were born a Christian, you were born an Orthodox, you, you were born a, a Buddhist, you know, but none of you were actually a staunch practicing, uh, you know, uh, believers of your of the, of the previous faith. I mean, we have another category in which they were staunch believers, but they also become Muslims. But in your case today, generally, what I can summarize is most of you were not. And so Allah is paving those ways towards easing into Islam so smoothly. You know, I have even like friends who like, you know, they they never like alcohol, you know, even though they, they were Americans, they never liked pork, even though they were they were Hong Kongers, you know. So I was just saying to them like, well, you were born to be a Muslim. <laughs> and then your journey <laughs> is just to discover this, and that's why it becomes easier. Right. And so I, I hope you you realize that, you know, you should be grateful, maybe today Sujuk to realize that, you know. Allah has decided this for you. And finally, after how many years of your life, here you are. MashaAllah. Mashallah. Right? But, but so don't, don't, don't throw away your culture because that, that made you who you are today. And in fact, that culture that you came from is the one that pushed you into uh, learning more about Islam, finding out about Islam, and eventually becoming Muslims. MashaAllah. Mashallah. Yeah. Good. So so the born Muslims must remember this. Don't convert them into Malay. <laughs> <laughs> right? So maybe you, if let's say you have a, a, a spouse or you have an in-law that's going to join the family, then you must learn about uh their background, you must learn about what is uh, Buddhism about and what aspect of uh the Chinese culture that you know can be incorporated within after they become Muslims, or what are the aspects that they you know need to be thrown out you know so the, the learning process is not just about the new revert who just came into Islam but also about the one who's embracing them into the family and that's, that's important that this would minimize the friction the confusion the difficulties and the challenges that the new Muslims are going to to experience inshallah mashallah yeah I mean I think uh, uh, what you said really is helpful in this part in this, this area because I'm very blessed to have in-laws that they're really kind and and thoughtful and friendly and you know when my parents are there they are open to to share about a lot of things and they don't make it hard you know like saying to my parents oh you can't do this you can't do that and stuff you know <laughs> so yeah. yeah so that that's one plus point that I think uh 
we can take home. I think one of the things what they did was they open welcome my parents open arms. They are very welcoming. And yeah, welcome. I must tell you, you know, I I I come to uh, Fredo's house once a while. Uh, the last time was when Atahnik, his baby Noah. Uh, you know, you you have his in laws were born Muslims, Malay, and then you have his parents were Chinese. Uh, both of them of different faith, and they were all just like mingling and talking at the dining table, eating with me, and like you know, it's just one big family. So if you look beyond that, you know, in the relationship beyond faith, just as other fellow human beings and sharing, you know, uh, you know, maybe in this case you and Fridaus and Shah, and then now with baby Noah, you know, if that becomes a common denominator, then all these aspects about prejudices, about uh, racism, about you know, anti-Muslim and all that, we just we just go away, right? But yeah. the, the born Muslims must be uh, must also be conscious that they must they need to have the open arms in welcoming and ensuring the the beauty of what the region has has made them and then when you have someone coming to the family and and to exude this form of beauty extending it to the the new family member okay. yes mm. so okay right who else haven't spoken about uh what you wish born muslims would have done to extend to you uh in order if, to facilitate your entry into islam i think i can go on that um okay I I feel that a lot of uh, a lot of times I guess that that there's probably like two groups of of like Muslims like born Muslims in Singapore you know one would kind of just give you a whole bunch of details of like oh you know if you should do this you should do that oh this is halal this is haram and whatnot but um, then again I feel it's it's um, the other group of Muslims are those that you know really show you um, in character like oh you know why you should um, you know, they, they kind of show you the daily livelihood, they really show you a lot of love, they show you, you know, how you should go about your day and how Islam is actually more like a lifestyle rather than like a bunch of rules that you should follow and how all these actually, um, all these so-called rules are actually um, different meaning, there are different meanings behind it and why we should actually, you know, follow them um, rather than, you know, really just following a bunch of rules just because we should. Yep. Good. Alhamdulillah. Okay, Alhamdulillah. Okay, so, Risa, so Risa, anything you want to add? Um, not not really, because like for me, I think like it has been like really supportive. Like a lot of Muslim-born people have been very supportive, but also whenever I feel like if there's something that I don't agree with them on, they're they're quick to like think that they have the authority to correct me when they themselves are not a scholar, when they themselves are not um you like imam or anything um and i don't know it's not always like that's very very that's like the one percent of the people i've met like most people have been very very like helpful and very very nice and everything good mashallah so i return this to uh fredos yeah okay so we are ending the session but before we go we just want to see what the comments yes we are dedicating some time for the q a's Ustaz, I have a okay. question. Um, okay. If, if you know, in a case where, let's say, our family member is not, um, I mean, like, us, you know, after reverting, but our family members are actually not reverts, but they do own a dog in a house, you know, how can we go about that challenge? Ah, I think an American would be able to answer this best because based on my experience living in the, in, in the U.S., Everybody, all my friends have dogs. 
and I, and you go and you go to house parties like you have like 10 dogs in the in the yard i was like oh my god what am i going to do <laughs> and you know what the one who's afraid of dogs they all will come to him and that's me <laughs> so all Sarah, animals you, go <laughs> yeah, so sarah do you want to share Sure. Um, Actually, my parents just got a dog about a year ago. So they're Muslim. Uh, They live in Texas. And uh, this dog is a German shepherd. He is a guard dog. So he's treated with love and tender care. And they play with him as best as they can to give him, you know, a humble little life. But he his main job is to ensure that um, the property is safe. Um, the reason why they decided to get a guard dog was because my parents live in a suburban area of Texas where there have been known to have break-ins. Um, you know, they live in really nice houses and things like that. And um, my dad works overseas a lot. Uh, he contracts to Korea. And my mom is usually left alone for a few months alone in the house. Um, it, 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 my sister is studying in Singapore, but she's back and forth as well. So they decided to get this beautiful German Shepherd dog um, who is trained uh, to alert, but also to keep quiet when there's nothing to alert. So he lives in the comfort of the garage and, um, you know, he's well taken care of. And um, of course, there are restrictions like he's not allowed in the house. Uh, they, you know, when they want to play ball, my mom wears a glove. But of course, she, you know, they they hire groomers if he needs to be groomed so that they don't have to touch the dog when it's wet. You know, they, they know the restrictions. But at the same time, the dog has a duty. So I, I think that's their way around of having a dog. Same like every other neighbor of the neighborhood. Um, but the dog is friendly and he, and he's he's just really good at alerting who's who doesn't belong on the property. Wow. Yeah, good. So so if let's say you live in a big, big house, I'm not talking about HGB flat, big house that you need security, Islam permits you to have gut dogs. All right. So in your situation, it's good because they're not even allowed in the house. So that means you can you can pray anywhere you want to pray. No, no problem. But if let's say in a situation where your, your dogs need to live inside the house, then I would suggest for convenience, uh, at least close one of the rooms and that would be the room in which you pray. So you don't have to clean it all the time whenever before you pray. You know, in the end, in the, you will not pray, right? But if you live in a HDB flat, there's really nothing to guard. You know, it's, it's such a small... <laughs> <laughs> you know surface area so uh, there is no necessity for you to have to have a dog and so in that sense you should not have a dog uh, you know if if you if you're muslim i mean if you want you can push the argument yes you can but every time when you want to pray then there's certain things that you need to perform on yourself and on the area so for that kind of convenience uh if it does not become something that is necessary for someone who lives in an apartment like that so we don't we don't have a dog Unless you live like, you know, like in, in Texas, or a big house and you have a farm, you know, and it's huge and, you know, and maybe you're an old couple, you know, apart from the cameras, CCTVs and all that, having a gut dog is permissible. And in this perfect case, they don't enter the house. They're just outside. Mm. So just roughly on the edge <clears throat> to answer whether you can have dogs or not. Okay. I mean, the details uh in fact, that we, we we can discuss, but this really not not the place where we, we discuss those details. But generally, these are the general answers. Yeah, thank you. So, so one of the question is, um, do you lose any 
good friends, any friends when you converted to Islam? No. Do I lose any good friends? Okay, for me. Anyone? Yeah. Um, I mean, friends come and go. I I I have quite a few that came and few that left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah. If they want to leave, I can't stop them. If they there are new people that come in, then welcome. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Yeah. Right. Anyone so else? there are people. Who, there are there are friends who who leave you because you converted to Islam. Reverted to Islam. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, if right. they have, if they leave you because of that reason, then they're not really that good friend anyway, lah. Right. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> else ever want to share your experience? I think I actually lost um quite a number of friends. I think it wasn't particularly because I became a Muslim, but you know that the, there's just so much lifestyle changes. There's um you know as as youngsters, you know a lot of them like to party. You know it's all about the clubbing and all those um you know night activities. But you know when when you start to drift off from that, you know the whole lifestyle just changes and friends just drop off from there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay so- we we got a question here. How does the new revert get the education on Islamic teachings like fake? Um, there are many other classes. I think that uh, uh, they speak in English nowadays. Um, struggling, but still fine. Uh, so, so I mean, th- there's a lot of options, uh, but it's not enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Okay. Another question, vice uh, directed to me. How did my army or NS mates reacted? Uh, they are quite cool with it. In fact, uh, my unit have a lot of uh, Muslims too. <laughs> so it's, it's just okay with everything. Lah. There's nothing. We are, we see ourselves bonded. The, the whole idea of NS is, is not to look at each other's religion and race. You know, It's like we're supposed to bond as a unit and and serve the, the service together. So we don't really have an issue. Yeah, yeah. I think it boils down to you as an individual, if you are you're a cool guy, if you're a nice guy, you know, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Muslim, whether you're, you're Christian or whatever, it doesn't really affect most people, right? So uh, the advice and the attitude that we should always have, I mean, Philippa would, 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 would talk about this if she's here, would be that you yourself must be a good person, a good human being, okay, irrespective of faith. And then, but then if you become a Muslim, then you must be a better human being, a better uh, NS mate, a better like classmate, a better, you know, whatever friends that you are with your friends because Islam demands that from you. And Islam has a whole list, range of things that, you know, uh, empower you to be a better person, a better friend, a better son, a better in-law than before. So it's something that if you pick up in the religion, you you wouldn't be a source in which other people would uh, ostracize and prejudice you for it. Because if they prejudice you for it, or ostracize you because of it, then that is their own their own prejudice uh, attitude, not yours. And you don't have to deal with that. It's their their problem. Uh, one for you. We'll start. <laughs> How okay. to get closer to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this is a bit off the topic, right? <laughs> yeah, off but, the topic. But, right, yeah. but okay, so so number one, how do you get close to the Prophet Sallallahu Number one, you need to know who is your Prophet and his, his, his basic brief background, his challenges, what he has done and his teachings. Okay, so that's, that's, that's a process that takes uh, a lifetime to learn. 
Okay, you need to know intimately, not just reading a few internet articles. You just you need to read a book, go for classes to know who is this man that loves you more than anyone else, right? And then mm-hmm. after you know who is this man, you begin to understand how special this man is, and then you begin to understand how much he has loved you, even though he has not met you, and you know that in the day at the end of the day of judgment at the end of it, he is going to be the one source that is going to. Uh, uh, you know, s- save you from the hellfire. So this is the man in which Allah says, in him is uswatun hasana, the most beautiful characteristics, right? This is the man in, you know, who, who, who from the beginning of his ministry, uh, that sub- the objective of his, of, his, of, his, of his ministry is to save you and give you salvation into the right path. So once you know that, you begin to advocate in yourselves bit by bit the sunnah uh, according to your means and your ability, um, you know, what he's done. For example, he wakes up for tahajud. Okay, you wake up. He reads the Quran. You, you do that. Uh, you know, he's polite. You do that. You be kind to animals. You do that. So the more and more you, 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 uh, you become to adopt uh, his practices and then you become him. And that's when you, be, you, you will then slowly begin to develop a sense of love and intimacy and closeness to him. And, right. uh, but, but I said, this is a shortcut, you know, to, I mean, a short, un, brief answer to it. But all of this takes a lifetime and you must not stop. If we can idolize our celebrities on, you know, American Idol or whatever, you know, on TV, I mean, and it's so easy for us to, to love them. I mean, this is the man that is going to save us. Uh, not only in this world, but in the hereafter, this is the man that we should learn, get to know, adopt the practices, and then grow our our love for him, inshallah. Okay, last, I'll just give last two questions. Mm-hmm. This is the second last one and one last one. Yeah. Uh, how do you overcome being Muslim in a minority environment when they give you, like, uh, you know, you're such a troublesome person, gesture, like, gesture, is it TSK gesture? <laughs> oh. oh, I need to go and print out. Oh yeah, this guy, <laughs> For me, if people give me gesture, then I I will smile at them. I say sorry. I'll I'll be back. Yeah, I'm going to pray. I'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how I do it. It's part of struggles you face in life, and you just go by it. You just forget about it. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you realize that all of these uh, prejudices or ill treatment that you face, actually, they don't matter. <laughs> yeah. they, you don't owe them anything. <laughs> so nowadays, I'm a bit, maybe I'm old. That's why I'm very cynical. When someone uh, don't like me or whatever, I say, it's okay, I don't owe anything. It's fine. You're free to not like me. It doesn't affect me at all. Right? And if you let all of this get to you personally, you're going to have a difficult life you know, trying to deal with all of this. If you don't have to deal with it, you don't have to deal with it, right? Because the best mm-hmm. defense in the eyes of Allah would be silence. Because yeah. if you're silent, whatever criticisms that people put on you, then Allah would deal with them directly, not you, 
right? Yeah. So, um, so don't be too concerned. Don't let it hamper your development. Keep on progressing. Uh, if 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 people want to criticize you, uh, that is their their problem. You look at it, you assess and analyze whether there's something productive for me. Whether it's right. If it's right, then you adopt it. If it's if it doesn't have any value, don't fret too much about it. Mm. Okay. Good. Last question. Last we have one. crossed the one hour and thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was out just now. If your work does not permit you to go for Friday prayers, do you need to quit your job? Keep looking for another one that allows. Okay. Fidel. Uh, Can you go for Friday prayers? Yeah. Just tell your boss that you 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 try your best to leave give us a Friday prayer. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the issue with Friday prayers would be probably in terms of management, it would be yeah. time taken to pray. Right. So you probably need an hour to pray for Friday prayers. So you 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 get yourself if is if your lunchtime an hour, if it is, and then if it's smack within your lunchtime, perfectly you can just go. Okay. But if it takes into your working hours, you will need to have a conversation with the boss. Well, I'm gonna take 15 minutes late. So I will either come 15 minutes earlier. Or I will leave 15 minutes later to make up for the lost time in which uh, when I go for my Friday prayers. Right? And usually, as long as you make the kind of arrangement, uh, you know, you give and take, if you take more than that, you pay back in a certain way, you come back later and you do you do extra things, uh, management will be fine. But if, let's say, as a matter of principle, they don't allow you at all and you cannot do it during your lunch period or you cannot do it, you know, just cannot, you're not allowed to do it. Right, so so it is not just asking permission for one time and they said no, and then that's it. Hooray! I don't have to go for fire prayers for the rest of my life while working here. It's not that. So every week, if you had to ask, you should make that effort and ask. Mm. Right, and then if it's really you know that the company, uh, in for whatever reason, you know, do not want you to go for fire prayers, then you know there is something that you need to do about it, and you you may need to find a new job. But do not quit this job before getting a new job <laughs> because you have a family to feed <laughs> because if you quit and then you you know you blame islam and then you don't have a job and then for the rest of your life and then you blame islam again right so be sensible you know you you must try and ask your management every week whether they allow it because sometimes if you ask enough they might begin to say okay, okay. and then make a deal with them i i'm going to come back 15 minutes late so i'm going to go home 15 minutes later or I come into the office 15 minutes earlier whatever you know that is convenient oh, I'll so, skip lunch altogether <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, de- okay I'll so okay. Lunch, uh. or, they already give you permission to go for Friday prayers you don't go and have your biryani for the next one hour because it's your lunch time <laughs> you must sacrifice something you know maybe for Friday just pack a sandwich and then that's it while you work just eat and then and then you're fine you know so you must be a responsible Muslim yourself don't take that privilege as an as you know, as a way in which you uh you know play play with it okay so that's that's something that is on you uh but if you really cannot do it then make sure you find another job and make sure you get a job go for the interview get accepted before you tender uh this job i'm not saying that you quit your job on the spot huh? uh you need to be responsible there are other things that you 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 have to bear in mind yeah okay? especially if you you know if your family depends on you. Okay, so be careful with that. Okay, thanks okay. Ustad for the uh, very great explanation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think uh, I think there's too too much 
questions. I think I can't go through every one of them as well. And we have really crossed uh, nine minutes past an hour and a half, I think. Uh, it was supposed to be one hour. hour. <laughs> it was supposed to be an hour. So we have to cross uh, another 30 minutes. Uh, Inshallah, I hope this gives you the hunger and the thirst for you to join us again every week. Uh, yeah. Because as you can tell, it's going to be very interesting and you're going to mm -hmm. flesh out some further details before the end of this session, Inshallah. Yeah, and uh, next week, uh, what will happen is we'll be sharing about the challenges faced by reverts. Uh, this was the topic. I think I'm able to get, uh, previously he was a pastor from a Christian faith and he has embraced Islam to share the challenges that, uh, some of the things that he faced. Yep. So thank you so much for tuning in guys tonight. Uh, sorry, we were slightly late in the earlier part. Thanks for your patience and inshallah, we'll see you again next week. And before we go, maybe we'll start one to end with uh, our standard. That's Beka Farah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashiru ala ilaha ila anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilai. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Al-asr ila insana fi khusr ila ladhina amanu wa amil salihati wa tawasa bil haq wa tawasa bil sabr. Sadaqallahu azim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh everyone. Good night. Bye. See you again. Inshallah.